knows better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. love what Romans 8 28 tells us we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose it's a wonderful truth that the Bible reveals to us something the Bible says we can know something we can be confident in that um, God works all things together for good now I'm sure that most of us wish this verse said all things work together immediately for good. You know, when we're in a trial, we want to know when is this good actually going to happen? We want it to happen right away. We don't want to have to wait on that good to to transpire over time. And one of the most difficult times in a trial is that time in the middle when it's difficult, it's hard, we've been in it for a while, and we just really have no clue of the good that's coming. We don't know what God is doing. We're not at the end looking back and seeing the good that's there. We're just in the middle hoping that something good can transpire, but we're kind of clueless as to what that is. And that's really one of the most difficult places to be in that trial when we don't know what's coming. We we try to hold on to the truth of this verse that good will come, but yet we don't see any. And that's really where we find ourselves with Joseph as we come here to chapter 41 of Genesis. He's gone through a lot of trials. He was in the pits then he was a slave, then he was unjustly imprisoned, and he's been in this prison now for a while, and he doesn't see the good. Um, In last chapter, we had a little bit of hope that possibly could come. Joseph has uh, the baker and the butler of the Pharaoh come into prison, and they both have a dream, and you know, they're sad because they don't understand why they had the dream and what the dream means. And he comes in and he's ministering to them and he asks them why they're sad and they tell him the dream. And he says, hey, you know, dreams belong to God. You know, let me seek the Lord and and seek if I can get an interpretation for you. And so the Lord gives him the interpretation. And, you know, for the baker, it's not good news. In three days, he's going to be killed. But for the butler, it is good news. In three days, he'll be released back to his role as butler. And he says to the butler, hey, when you get out, Remember me. Remember that I'm here. I've been unjustly in prison. I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't done anything to get to Egypt to begin with. I was sold as a slave. So talk to Pharaoh on my behalf. And so we end chapter 40 with him hoping that, hey, you know what? Maybe this guy is going to come through for me. And now we come to chapter 41. Joseph's still in prison. But notice what we're told in verse 1. It says this. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by a river. So now it's been two full years since the butler was released. 
since Joseph said, hey, re remember me, talk to Pharaoh on my behalf. Maybe you can get me released from this prison. And I can imagine the, the first day after, you know, the butler was released, you know, Joseph's thinking, hey, soon it's going to happen. Maybe in a couple days, I'm finally going to get out of this prison. I don't belong here. Then a week goes by. Still thinking, okay, hopefully it's soon. A month goes by. Any day now, two months, six months. And probably around the six-month time, I would imagine he's starting to think, you know what, maybe this is never going to happen. Maybe Butler forgot about me, or maybe he talked to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh has no interest in letting me out of prison. And then a year goes by, and then two years go by, and still Joseph isn't released. But notice here what verse 1 tells us. It says, then it came to pass at the end of two full years. You know, the reason for why Joseph needs to go through all these different trials is about to come to pass. We're about to see the good that God's about to do. We're about to see the bigger picture, the plan that God has to work in Joseph's life. It's about to come to pass. And this chapter is going to reveal really some of the ultimate plan of God, of why all this happened in Joseph's life was for a much bigger picture, for a much bigger purpose in the life of Joseph and to impact the life of his family, and really the whole world at the time. But I want you to understand that right now in Joseph's life, he's waited for two years for the butler to say something, and he doesn't know the good that's coming. He doesn't know if he's going to be there for 20 more years. He, he doesn't see that good. We're, we're, going to, we're going to see it in a moment. He's going to get to see it in a moment, but he's at that place in the trial, which is probably the worst place of all. When you've been there for so long and you're almost at the end, but yet you don't know you're at the end. You're almost about to see what good God's going to do, but you're clueless of that good. And it's been so long that you've been enduring this. And those are the times when it can be very, very difficult. You see, the end of the trial is easy because the trial's finished and you get to look back and see the good that God's done. You start to get a perspective on why you went through it. That's the easy part. The hard part is when you have no clue, when the trial's still there presently in your life and you don't know the good that God is doing. For Joseph right here at the beginning of chapter 41, he's at that point where it's the worst part of the trial. He doesn't know what's coming, but God's about to do something great in his life. When you've been in a tri uh, trial for a while, you don't see the good in it. You don't see the good through it. It's hard to believe what Romans 8.28 says. God works all things together for good. And we, we hear that and it's like, I don't know if I really believe that this time and what I'm going through. I don't see any good. And we need to just trust that truth. Even when we can't see it, even when we don't know what's going to happen, but we believe that God's word is true. You know, in this chapter, we're going to see six ways that God works something good in Joseph's life. Six things that God helped Joseph to grow in while he was suffering through these trials. And really, not just to grow him, but also to prepare him for what God was going to do after the trial. And so we have this twofold reality of what's transpiring with him. And, you know, these are six ways that God often is working good in our life as well. As we see what God does in Joseph, it's a typical thing that God does in us as we go through trials. He's seeking to grow us. He's seeking to prepare us for a work that he wants to do after the trial is finished. And so as we look at Joseph and how 
God works in him. I want it to be an encouragement to you as you deal with trials. Maybe you're in one right now, but if you're not in one right now, the reality is it's only a matter of time before you get into another one. And so remember the good that the Lord does in Joseph. Remember, he wants to do that good in you and in me as well. And let that perspective change how you view trials. In Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, it says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. You know, this verse is saying, hey, glory in tribulations, not because we love tribulation, we can't wait for trials to hit our life, it's saying glory in it. Why? Because of what it produces. Not the trial itself, not the tribulation itself. What the tribulation and trial produces is something that we can actually glory, take joy in. And so here in chapter 41, we're going to see six things that tribulation produces in the life of Joseph. Six good things that God's going to do. And the first thing is here in verse 1. At the end of two full years. It's been two full years. You know, he's gone through a lot of things, Joseph, up to this point, but now he's unjustly in prison. He gets his one break where he thinks, finally, something good's happened. The Lord's given me this interpretation of a dream, and surely now I'm going to get out because the butler's going to say something on my behalf. And two years have gone by from that time. And you know what? I think in that time he realized, I can't trust the butler. But the butler's not going to be the answer to my trial. The butler's not going to be the one who gets me out of this. And he's got to really come back to the reality of there's only one person who doesn't let me down. There's only one person who's always there with me. There's only one person from the pit to slavery to the prison that's always been with me, that's always blessed me, that's always been there for me. And that's the one I need to trust. That's the one I need to turn to. And it's typical in trials and we start to see, oh, maybe this person can help and, and surely that person can do something or maybe this one will deliver me. And we start to look to them and we start to put our hope and our trust in them and we oftentimes get let down by them. Like the butler forgetting Joseph lets him down. But God doesn't let us down. God doesn't forget about us. God doesn't abandon us. He's always there. And I think, you know what, through all this, the Lord just reminds Joseph, of, hey, you need to keep your trust in me. You need to come and put that trust in me because I'm the only one who's always here for you. And that's the first thing that I want us to note here, that God was helping Joseph to go in through his trials, was trusting God. You know, trusting God is such a vital thing for us to learn. And I find that one of the best places that we learn that lesson is in the midst of trials. You know, when I was a missionary, I had many different trials, but one reoccurring one was a financial trial, especially in my first several years there, being supported by people in the States, and you never know what's coming. You don't have a, a salary that you depend upon that's the same every month. Some months are good, some months are bad. And there were many times where I'm just like, you know, Lord, how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to feed my family? You know, and there was this constant, you know, over, you know, several years span of time of coming up to these financial trials over and over again. And each time the Lord provided, and each time God just helped me to see, trust me. Trust me, I'll take care of you. And you know, these trials can oftentimes draw us into a deeper trust in the Lord. And we need to realize, even though sometimes in our trials it doesn't appear like God is doing something, He is. But when we can't see what's happening, we got to believe, hey, 
He's moving. He's doing something. There's good that He's working in this. Even though I don't see it or I don't know how it's going to come to pass, I'm going to trust Him anyway. Well, God's plan for Joseph is about to be revealed. And I want you to notice that this thing comes to pass. Two years he's been in prison. And notice we're told that Pharaoh has a dream. And this is going to be a big turning point now for Joseph. And it's going to be a big turning point for the big picture plan of God to start come to pass. Notice what we see this dream here in verses 2 through 8. Suddenly there came out of the river seven cows, fine looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. The ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. He slept and dreamed a second time, and suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blightened by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump, full heads. And Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. So Pharaoh, we're told, has two dreams. And it's no accident that he dreams these dreams. There's a message here because these dreams were given to him by God. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. God is using Pharaoh right now to implement a much larger plan that he's had in store. And Joseph's going to play a big part of this plan. And God's now working in Pharaoh. And he gives this dream to Pharaoh. But he doesn't give Pharaoh what the meaning of this dream is. First, he dreams about seven fine-looking fat cows who are eaten up by seven ugly skinny cows. And then he has a second dream about seven plump and good heads of grain that are eaten or devoured by seven thin, pathetic heads of grain. And he wakes up and his spirit's troubled. He knows that there's some meaning to this, but he doesn't know what the meaning is. But he says, you know, I'm Pharaoh. I got all these magicians. I got all these wise men at my disposal. So he calls all of them to him and he tells them the dreams. And none of them are able to give an interpretation to Pharaoh. Pharaoh learned that day that his wise went they weren't that wise. They, they couldn't answer this very important dream for him. But the one who does have an answer is the man of God, Joseph. The second thing that God was helping Joseph to grow, and we're going to see here in verses 9 through 13. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dream for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. And they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved and changed his clothing and came to Pharaoh. 
So the chief butler, you know, he's obviously, you know, well acquainted with Pharaoh. He's the one who tastes the drinks and makes sure it's not poison and is regularly in Pharaoh's presence. And he hears about this dream that Pharaoh has and all the magicians and the wise men, they can't interpret the dream. And then the light bulb goes on in his brain. And he's thinking, oh, what an idiot I am. I remember two years ago when someone interpreted my dream and they told me to remember them and to tell Pharaoh about them. And, you know, he realizes the blunder that he makes and he comes to Pharaoh and he tells him, hey, you know what? When you sent me and the baker to prison, we both had a dream on the same night. And we didn't know what that dream meant. And there was this Hebrew man there in prison and he came and he was able to give us the interpretation of the dream. And we knew it was real because, you know what? What he interpreted happened. You killed the baker. And you gave me my job back, just like he said that you would. When Pharaoh hears this, he's excited. He wants someone to interpret the dream. He sends for Joseph. They clean him up, and they bring him to Pharaoh. For two years, Joseph has been waiting to get out of prison. And I'm sure for those two years, he's been wondering, God, what's going on? When is this going to happen? I'm an innocent victim. I'm unjustly charged. When are you going to get me out of here? And now Joseph is released at a very important time. A time when Pharaoh needs an interpretation that nobody else in the kingdom can give him. Now I want you to imagine if Joseph would have been released two years earlier when the butler was released. What if the butler would have come to Pharaoh and Pharaoh said, oh, he's innocent, all right, release him. Let him go. He can do what he wants. Joseph gets out of prison. He's free to go. Well, most likely he's going to go back to Canaan. Go back to his father. Go back to his family. But you know what? Then two years would have gone by. Pharaoh would have had this dream. He would have needed an interpreter. And guess who would have not been anywhere near? Guess who wouldn't have been there to be in this place at this time to be used by God in a very important way? I'm sure that Joseph thought the best timing to get out of prison is right now. Just like us, when we're in trials, the best timing to get out of the trials is now, today. And not next week, not next month, not next year, definitely not two years from now. He surely thought the best timing is now, Lord. I want out of this prison, but it wasn't the best timing. The best timing was two years more for him to wait. The second thing that God has helped Joseph to grow in through trials is trusting that God's timing is perfect. You know, as we are in trials, we so often want, Lord, just get us out now. But God often says, no, you're going to stay because I have a bigger plan. You're going to stay because I have a purpose. I'm doing something good. I'm doing something in you. I'm, I'm preparing you. I'm working in you. I'm working in others. So I'm not going to let you out right now. And if you knew the plan, if you knew what I was doing, if you knew the good I was working, you wouldn't be so upset right now. You wouldn't be so angry with me. But trust me, I got this just wait for my perfect timing. God's never late. He's never early. He's always on time. And when we're in trials, we have to trust in that. And that can be hard. It can be very hard. We don't often think that God's timing is perfect when we want certain things to happen the way we want them. And we need to realize, hey, it's not that my timing is perfect, it's his. And if he hasn't worked and he hasn't moved yet, well, then it's not the perfect time. Because God always works and moves in the perfect time. We just got to patiently 
wait for him to do it. The third thing that helped Joseph to grow in his trial is in verses 15 and 16. It says this, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. So Joseph's now standing before Pharaoh. He's been in prison for many years. That last two years were just the latter part of it. He's in front of the one person who has the power to release him. The one person who can say, hey, Joseph, you're free. You're no longer having to be in prison. And Pharaoh says this to Joseph. Hey, Joseph, I've had a dream, and there's no one that I have in my kingdom who can interpret it. But I've heard that you have a special gift, Joseph. I heard that you can interpret dreams. Now, I want you to put yourself in Joseph's position. Here is your chance to get out of prison. Here's your chance to look good in front of Pharaoh and to help him see that, yes, you are very special. You have a gift that nobody else in his kingdom possesses. Pharaoh just basically said, I've heard that your skill is unique. So how would you respond, especially considering the stakes? You know, I'm either going to get put back in prison or I'm going to actually finally be released based on what I say right now to Pharaoh. How would you respond? Would you respond by saying, you know, Pharaoh, you have been told correctly. I definitely do have a very special skill of interpreting dreams that, as you've seen, no one else in your kingdom has. And I'm wiser than your wise men. And why don't we make a deal? I'll interpret your dream if you release me from prison, if you give me the nicest house here in Egypt, and you give me money every year to live for the rest of my life. You know, we can come up with a great deal, and I'll use my gift, and I'll do that for you. You know, Joseph doesn't say anything like that. Notice what he does say. He says, it's not in me. God is going to give you the answer. I've heard that you can interpret dreams, Joseph, if that's true. Actually, no, it's not. I don't have the gift. It's not me that's special. It's God that's special. Well, Joseph, you're not a very good, you know, someone who's going to get yourself out of prison here. Talk about how good you are and how important you are and how much he needs you. No, he just speaks the truth. Hey, it's not me. I'm not the one who's special. I'm not the one who's the interpreter. God is. God's the one who does this. Joseph here demonstrates that he understands that he's completely dependent on God. The third thing that God has helped Joseph to grow in through his trial is that he needs to have complete dependence on God. I don't think as a young man, Joseph was at this place, but you know, once he got into that pit and then he was a slave and then he was in prison, you know, he realized there's no one here for me but the Lord. I have to completely depend on him for, for everything. And he's grown and he's been blessed and God's moved, but he realizes my dependence has to be on the Lord. You know, one of the reasons why we struggle to depend on God, especially in trials, is because we believe that we can do something without him. We believe that we can accomplish it without him. Lord, I got this. 
yeah, yeah, I know there's these things in my life and these troubles and, and that person over there, but I can deal with this. I can handle this on my own. I, I got the, the wisdom here. I got the strength here. I can take care of this on my own. Abraham believed that. We saw the problems that caused him. Jacob believed that. We saw the problems that it caused him. But Joseph is wiser than his father, and wiser than his great-grandfather, because he now realizes, you know what? I'm not going to go down that road. I'm not going to believe that I can do it on my own. I'm going to just depend upon the Lord. And even in this moment where I could talk about how great I am and lie, as my great-grandfather did, to try to get himself out of trouble, I'm just going to tell the truth. I'm going to, hey, it's not me. It's not my ability. It's not my power. It's God. He's the one who can give you the interpretation. Joseph's trials, I think, are one of the big things that brought him to this place of complete dependence. And I really believe that, that you need that. Because when everything's going wonderful in your life and you've got no issues, it's really hard to recognize how in need you are of the Lord. It's when the trials hit and you can't do anything about it. When the things come against you and you've got nothing to combat it, your wisdom isn't working, your strength is it's failing you, you start to realize, you know what, I really actually do need God. I really do need to depend on Him. And I am now grasping this in a very practical way as I'm facing these things over and over again and I'm coming to the recognition I can't do it on my own. And that's where God wants us to be. He wants us to come to that place where we recognize, as Jesus says in you know, John chapter 15, without me, you can do nothing. Well, Pharaoh's going to share his dream again because Joseph wasn't there the first time. And so now he wants Joseph to hear it. Verse 17, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly seven cows came out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I've never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven cows, the fat cows. When they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I awoke. And I saw my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk, full and good. Then behold, seven heads withered, thin, and blightened by the east wind sprang up after them, and the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. So Pharaoh now reveals, hey Joseph, I had two dreams. First dream, I have these seven fine-looking cows, and they're eaten by these seven ugly, skinny cows. And once these seven ugly, skinny cows eat them, they're still ugly and skinny. You would think they'd get fat now that they've eaten these fat cows, but nothing changes. And then I have another dream. These seven plump and good heads of grain are devoured by seven thin, pathetic heads of grain. And then Pharaoh says, you know, and I told these dreams to all my magicians, all my wise men, and no one could give me the interpretation. So now Joseph has this amazing opportunity. Standing before the most powerful man of the world at that time who's in desperate need of an interpretation to a dream and he's going to come to God to seek the interpretation. Verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good heads of are seven years. The dreams are one. 
And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is a thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice, because the thing is established by God and will shortly bring it to pass. So Joseph starts by saying, hey, you know, you have two dreams, but actually you're just one dream. It's all the same meaning. You have the seven good cows and the seven uh, represent seven good years. The seven good you know, grain also, they, they represent seven good years of plenty that are going to come throughout all the land of Egypt. So we're about to have seven years where we grow more than we've ever grown. But the seven years of thin and ugly cows and the seven years of the Empty heads of grain represent seven years of famine. And this famine's going to be so bad that all the years of plenty before it, they're going to be forgotten real quick. And the famine's going to deplete the entire land. And Joseph says, hey, God repeated this to you twice because it's something that he has established and he's going to bring it to pass shortly. This is about to happen. We're about to have these seven great years where all this stuff's going to grow but guess what? It's going to be followed by seven years of one of the most severe famines we've ever had, and nothing is going to grow. So now that Joseph has given Pharaoh the interpretation, he's also going to give him some wise counsel. Notice what he says in verses 33 through 36. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint officers over the land to collect one fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food in those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh, and let him keep the food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So Joseph's wise counsel to Pharaoh says, hey, you know what, you need to appoint a wise and discerning man, someone who can oversee this huge project that you're ultimately needing to undertake. And the project ultimately is going to consist of this. Through these seven years where you have so much plenty growing, you're going to need to take one-fifth of all that grows, all the produce and everything. You have to collect that and hold on to that. So when you have the seven years of famine, you're going to have a reserve of food that you can come back and eat so that people ultimately don't starve to death. When Joseph shared the interpretation of Pharaoh's dream, he was sharing knowledge with Pharaoh. And now Joseph is sharing wisdom. You see, wisdom is the application of knowledge. Knowledge tells you, you know, what's going on, but wisdom tells you what to do about it. And so here's what's going to happen. You're going to have seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. That's the knowledge of the interpretation of the dream. Now let me give you some wisdom. Let me share with you what you should practically do with the knowledge that God has now granted to you. We're going to need a wise, discerning person to oversee this. We're going to have to collect a whole lot of produce. We're going to have to store it. We're going to need to point officers in the land to make sure the collection takes place. Something I want you to note here is that this wisdom from Joseph, it comes through 
his trials that he's gone through. You know, when Joseph was a slave, God made him prosper. He was prospered in the house of Potiphar, and Potiphar put him over everything, over all the servants, over everything in his house. So now Joseph had to learn, okay, I got to learn how to, you know, rule here. I got to learn how to oversee people. I got to learn how to deal with all the stuff that's going on. And he starts to grow in his ability to administrate and to lead and to do these things. And then he's unjustly accused of rape and he's thrown into prison. But what happens in prison? Once again, God blesses him. And the captain of the guard puts him over every single prisoner. And I'm sure these were, you know, upstanding people, really easy to work with and fun to do stuff with. No, he had to learn to work with hard people. He had to learn to lead prisoners. And for years, he's doing this. And God is using these things to give him practical wisdom and administration and leadership skills. And now as he stands before Pharaoh, and he says, you know what? I know what we need to do here. You know, hey, I've been doing this kind of stuff for a while now, and this is something that the Lord has been doing. And I think it's interesting because the Lord's the one that blessed Joseph and put him in the place where, I mean, slaves don't rise up and, you know, have normally this role where everything is under their control. And, you know, he had this wonderful position, but God blessed him and put him in that role. Prisoners definitely don't get that. But once again, God blessed him and put him in that role. Why? Because God had a bigger purpose. It wasn't just, while you're a slave, I want you to be the top slave. And while you're the prisoner, I want you to be the top prisoner. No, I have you in this role because I'm teaching you things. And he probably was clueless of the big picture of what's coming, of what God had in store. And it's just, well, at least I'm not the bottom slave. At least I'm not the bottom prisoner. I'm sure there was, you know, some happiness for the fact that he had the role that he had. But God's like, no, Joseph, I got you here for a much bigger purpose because I'm going to have you ruling in a way that you can't possibly imagine. The fourth thing that God helped Joseph to grow in through his trial is the wisdom to lead and govern. You know, God helps Joseph in practical skills. Practical skills in his trial that he says, you know what, when the trial's over, I'm preparing you to use you in a way that's going to be great. And so often, I think that's how God works. You know, it might not be wisdom, and it might not be administration, or it might not be some of these things, but there's practical things that God is working in us in the midst of the trial. And all of a sudden, when the trial's over, you're like, wow, this is really helpful now where God has brought me, now what God has me going through, now what God is doing in my life. So Joseph has given Pharaoh some wise counsel, and now we're going to see what Pharaoh does. Because wise counsel is only good if you take it. So Pharaoh has the opportunity. Am I going to listen to this Hebrew? Am I going to listen to his counsel? Am I going to say, yeah, I'm going to go back to my wise men and my magicians, and then we'll figure this out. Thanks for interpreting the dream. We got this. Well, let's see how Pharaoh responds. Verse 37. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain around his neck. 
And he had him ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried out before him, Bow the knee! So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. We're told that Joseph's advice to Pharaoh was good in the eyes of Pharaoh, but it was also good in the eyes of all of Pharaoh's servants. I'm sure many of them were the magician and wise men who were like, yeah, this guy you know, did what we couldn't. And you know, Pharaoh says to his servants, can we find such a one as this? Here's a unique guy. No one else could interpret this dream, but notice what else he says, even more important. A man in whom is the Spirit of God. You know, Pharaoh had plenty of priests, plenty of magicians, plenty of wise men, but he did not have, until Joseph, a man full of the Spirit of God. This is the first mention in the Bible of the Holy Spirit coming upon a man. And I think it's interesting to note, it's something practical. So often when we think of the Holy Spirit coming upon someone in the Old or New Testament, usually there's some supernatural things. We see the prophets and they're doing miraculous things because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And and we have this kind of supernatural connection all the time. Like when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, there's only supernatural things and these amazing ways that are going to happen. And yet with Joseph, that's not the case. It's very practical. The way that he's filled, the way that he's moving is a very practical thing. Notice Joseph didn't have to preach a sermon, lead a prayer for Pharaoh to see the Spirit of God upon him. Pharaoh could see it in his character. Pharaoh could see it in what he spoke and his knowledge and his wisdom and his humility. It's important to note that the presence and power of the Holy Spirit isn't just seen in supernatural ways in our lives. It can be seen in very practical ways in our character and our humility. So Joseph's advice to Pharaoh was for him to appoint a wise and discerning man to lead this huge project. And Pharaoh says, you're that guy. I mean, who's wiser and more discerning than you? You're the one who was able to help give us this interpretation of the dream. And so in as much as God has shown it to you, there is no one as discerning and wise as you are. So Joseph, I want you to be in charge of this huge project. And notice the role that Pharaoh gives to Joseph. You shall be over my house. And all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. There's only one person, and that's me, that's greater than you. And that's only according to the throne. But in everything else, you're the top guy. I'm making you number two in command over all of Egypt. And Pharaoh takes his signet ring off his hand, puts it on Joseph's hand, clothes him in a garment of fine linen, puts a gold chain around his neck, has him ride in the second chariot which he had and cried out before him, bow the knee. So they sent him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh says, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or his foot in all the land of Egypt. The signet ring that's on Pharaoh's hand that he gives to Joseph, it's a sign of his authority. And he's giving it to Joseph to say, Joseph, now you have authority. You have authority over everybody here in the land of Egypt. You know, it's interesting, Joseph once wore shackles of a prisoner, and now he has the signet ring of Pharaoh. He once had the the prison clothing of a prisoner, and now he has garments of fine linen. He once had chains of a slave, but now he's adorned with a gold chain. He once had to walk as a slave, now he rides in Pharaoh's chariots. He once could only obey orders, and now he is the one who gives them to all of Egypt. 
Now we're starting to see the plan that God has. Now we're starting to see all the trials, everything. What good was God going to bring? Well, he's bringing this great good in what he's doing in Joseph's life. Before Joseph could become second in command of Pharaoh, there was a lot that God needed to do, a lot that God needed to change, a lot of work in his life. Remember when he was a young man, you know, he's a little bit prideful. He had some issues. But God has worked in him over this time to bring him to this place where he can now put him in second in command to Pharaoh. Something that we need to understand about Joseph's trials is the pit, Potiphar's slave, and the prison were all necessary things in Joseph's life to prepare him for the palace. God used these trials in Joseph's life to prepare him for this ultimate purpose that he had of, I'm going to make you second in command in Egypt. And there's an even bigger purpose of why he does that, which we're going to see. I'm sure that there were times while Joseph was in the pits, times that he was a slave, times that he was in prison, that he despised those times. But now that the trial's over and he's second in command in Egypt, I'm sure he can look back with a different perspective. Look back and see, man, I remember there when I was a slave, how the Lord used me to learn how to administrate and learn how to do these things. And look at how he helped me work with those really difficult people there in prison. And look how he changed my character and, and caused me to trust in him. And he starts to see the good that God is doing. But you know what? Let's not wait till the trial's over to trust and believe that there is good coming. It's easy at the end to look back and say, okay, Lord, this is nice that you did this, but are we willing in the midst of it when we can't see it to say, Lord, I trust that it's coming. I trust that you're going to do it, and I'm going to have a perspective on my trial that something good is going to happen through it. Something else I think is important to notice here is that when Joseph's exalted, it comes after he humbled himself before the Lord. When he had that time, that opportunity to exalt himself, when Pharaoh says, hey, I've heard you're the man who interprets dreams. Well, you know what? That's right, I am. He could have exalted himself. He could have you know, spoke so highly of himself. He could have painted himself in an uh, untrue picture that would have made himself look better than he really was, but he humbles himself. He gives all glory, gives all credit to God. And the result is, he's the one who's exalted. James 4.10 says this, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. This is so backwards from the way in which the world thinks. The world thinks, you know what, if you want to be exalted, then you better do it yourself. You better speak highly of yourself. You better you know, present yourself in a way that's going to exalt you in, in business or in whatever relationship. Do that, and you'll be exalted. And God says, no, humble yourself. Humble yourself before the Lord and trust God to exalt you. The fifth thing God helped Joseph to grow in through his trials is in verses 45 through 52. It says this. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zapnath Paneah, and he gave him as a wife Asnath, the daughter of Hadi Parah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. Now, in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities. 
He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asnath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the first one Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. In the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So not only does Pharaoh make Joseph second in command to Egypt, he gives Joseph a new name, you know, a Hebrew name there in Egypt wouldn't suffice. And so he gives him a, an Egyptian name, Zapapanea, which means God speaks and he lives. And then Pharaoh gives Joseph a wife. And we're told that Joseph is 30 years old as he stands before Pharaoh. And that age, I think, brings up two important realities. First of all, is this is a huge undertaking for a 30-year-old. You know, what he's about to do, second in command to Pharaoh, to really have the lives of all the world in his hands, because if he doesn't take care of this food, everyone's going to starve to death. You know, for a 30-year-old, that would be something that's a pretty big deal, but yet he's been being trained as a slave. He's been trained as a prisoner. Do you know what, Joseph? He was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. So for 13 years, he's either been a slave or he's been a prisoner. It's a long time. You look at this trial, I mean, that 13 years, kind of the prime of his life from 17 to 30 is kind of gone from being a slave and being a prisoner. He's had this time for that whole time that God's been working. I think for many people looking at Joseph's life, they probably thought was a, this is an amazing overnight success story. I mean, he goes from prisoner to palace. He goes from prisoner to second in command of Egypt. Wow, how amazing. But this journey took 13 hard years of horrible trials. Well, Joseph does what he was appointed to do. He gathers grain in every city there is for the seven years of plenty. There's so much, he stops counting it. It was as the sand of the sea, immeasurable. And during those seven years of plenty, Joseph has a little plenty in his own family. He has two sons. His firstborn son, he names Manasseh, which means forgetting. And he says, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. For the last 13 years, I'm sure that was on his mind all the time. All that he's going through in his father's house that he was ripped away from. And now finally he's saying, you know what, the Lord tell me to forget that. All that I've been through, all that I've lost, I see it now. I see why I'm here. I see what God's doing and I can forget all the misery that's come before. And the second born son, he names Ephraim, which means fruitful. And he says, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. You know, I want you to notice something here. Joseph says that he was fruitful in the land of his affliction, not out of it. He was fruitful in the trial, in the place where all difficulty happened, not out of it. The fifth thing that God helped Joseph to grow in through his trial is fruitfulness in the midst of the trial. So often we think when we're in a trial, the only way I'm ever going to be fruitful is if, God, you get me out of this. 
Get me out of this trial and you watch what I can do for you. Get me out of this trial. Watch the fruit I'll bear for you. Remove me from this person. Remove me from this situation. And then I'm going to bear fruit. Instead of seeing, you know what, God might be saying, no, no, no. I want you to bear fruit right there. I want you to bear fruit in the trial. Actually, I want you to bear fruit no matter where you are. If you're in a trial or at a trial, I want you to bear fruit. So don't think, well, just get me out and I'll do it. No, do it now. Bear fruit in the midst of it. When we're in a trial, we need to be looking at how we can bear fruit for God, not how we can get out of it. The sixth thing God helped Joseph to grow through his trial is in the final verses of this chapter. When the seven years of plenty, which were in the land of Egypt, ended, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said, the famine was in all the lands, and in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, and people cried to Pharaoh for bread, then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all the countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain, because the famine was severe in all the lands. So the seven years of plenty now have ended, and now the seven years of famine have started. And notice it says, in all the lands, not just Egypt. And this is important because this famine stretches to Canaan, where Joseph's father and brothers live. And because the famine's there, and there's only food in Egypt, it's going to cause them to have to leave there and come to Egypt because God has a plan. It's not just a plan to save people and to provide food, but there's a plan even bigger than that in Joseph's personal life with regard to his brothers and what they've done for him, to him. So the famine hits all the lands, but there's only one place where there's bread. There's only one place where there's grain. There's only one place where there's food, and that's Egypt, the place where they've been storing up food. Knowing this is coming, they prepared for it. And all of a sudden, the Egyptians, they're famished. And they're crying out to Pharaoh, hey, we want bread. So Pharaoh says, go to Joseph, and whatever he says to you, do it. So Joseph now starts to open up the storehouses of grain where he's stored all this food, and he starts to give it out to people as they pay for it. And he's ultimately able to save them from the famine. You know, I think it's interesting here. We've seen so many pictures of Joseph as a, a picture of Christ, and we see it again here. All who would come to Joseph would get bread and be saved from the famine. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the bread of life, and all who come to Him will be saved from their sins and saved from hell. Through the trial, God has been doing so many things to help Joseph grow. But I think the ultimate thing that God is seeking to do in Joseph, the same thing He's seeking to do in all of us, is to make Joseph more like Jesus. The sixth thing God helped Joseph to grow in through his trial is becoming more like Jesus. The best reward for going through a trial is not what we get for it, but what we become through it. We become more like Jesus. That, that should be the ultimate desire. And if I can look back on a trial and see that I am more like Jesus now than when the trial started, then there's a benefit to it. Then, then I should be pleased with it. Then I should recognize, you know what? God did something good. And maybe without this trial, I wouldn't have been able to be like Jesus in the way that I am now. 
And I think there's a truth to that. I don't think that there's, there's certain ways that we can grow without trials. There's certain character depths and there's certain things that really have to happen because trials produce perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. I, I think there's a, a depth of character that, that, that we become more like Jesus because of difficulty, because of trial, because of hardship. So when we pray, Lord, I want to be more like Jesus, he says, really? Yes, I want to be more like Jesus. I'm so dead. Are you sure? Yes, I want to be more like Jesus. Okay, here you go. I don't want this trial. Get this trial out of my life. You just prayed you want to be more like Jesus. Here you go. I'll be with you. I'm going to get you through it. It's going to be hard. But you know what? On the other end, you are going to be more like Jesus. And that's the goal. That's the desire. When we're in a trial, we need to remember the wonderful truth of Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. You know, Joseph didn't have Romans 8.28 on paper. It hadn't been written yet, but I think he had it on his heart. I think he realized, you know what, God can work things together for good. Sadly, I think there's a lot of Christians who have this verse on paper. They have it in their Bibles. They might even have it memorized in their mind, but they don't have it on their heart. They don't really believe it. In the midst of the trial, no, 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 there's no good coming from this. I don't believe this is true. I don't believe that, God, you can do this. So we need to hold to this, to believe it. God, you said it. I trust it. Even though I can't see it, even though it doesn't feel like it, even though I don't know how it's going to work out, I'm going to hold to the truth that good is coming because you say it's coming. God is working good through every trial that you and I go through because He wants to help us grow. And like Joseph, the six ways we see in his life of growth. These are things that God wants to grow us in. He wants us to grow in trusting Him. He wants us to grow in trusting that His timing is perfect. He wants us to have a complete dependence on Him. He wants us to gain practical skills. It could be wisdom. It could be administration and leadership. It could be all sorts of things. He wants us to be fruitful in the trial, not just out of the trial. And ultimately, He wants us to become more like Jesus. Before I open it up for you guys to share your thoughts, I want you to know next Thursday we will not be here. We are going to have our men's retreat next Thursday, so we're not going to have our study next Thursday. So if you show up next Thursday and you come to the door and it's locked and the lights are out and you're wondering what's going on, hopefully you remember this announcement. It is canceled. But we are going to do something next week because we want to gather together. So Wednesday uh, at now it's Colson Joy Mariah's house, I guess. Uh, we're going to have just a, a night. So it's going to be a potluck. It's going to start at 6. We're going to have a time just to worship the Lord together, a time to fellowship together. Um, if you want to bring your swimsuit and swim, you can do that as well. But uh, So we'll have a time together next week on Wednesday night starting at 6. If you're going to come and you want to eat, I encourage you to bring some food to share. Um, but Thursday, I'll remind you on Sunday as well, we will not have a study. So don't come. <laughs> and if you do come, you can pray for our mentor. So any thoughts on what we looked at tonight?